give me fuel, give me fire, give me that which I desire. Hey everybody, and welcome to part nine of the Metallica and Summer for All series. I am your host and fellow Metallica fan. My name is Brandon. This is the final chapter. We have been going week by week, track by track, celebrating the 30th anniversary of the Injustice for All, uh, Injustice for All album, which was either September... Which I, I cannot talk today. I, I, I returned to work. I cannot talk this week. Which, thankfully, I have help. Mr. Jason Long, you there, sir? Yes. Yes, Brandon, <laughs> I am here. Yes, sir. Um, so, I, I had this great introduction planned to Jason, and I completely bombed it. You know what my problem is? I'm no longer on summer vacation. I've had three days back at work, and I'm all tongue-tied. Uh, it happens, man. Happens to the best of us. But you know what? I'm going to leave all this in because I'm a podcast professional, Jason. Okay. <laughs> They're good, man. I'm not going to lie. They're good. Uh, but so did you hear about this whole debate on like Twitter? People are confused and I am confused at the 30th anniversary of the, Just- of the Injustice for All album. Man, that is really a mouthful for me today. Um we are confused if the 30th was on August 25th or if it's coming up on September 6th. Uh, I was always under the impression it was August 25th. Me too. And that's sort of uh, what I've always known. But if you go to Metallica.com, it did list the album as released on September 6th, which is confusing a lot of people out there. So then I was wondering if it maybe was an American as opposed to European release or something like that. But Yeah, that could be. Yeah. The way I look at it is we get to celebrate the 30th twice. I'm all, <laughs> all for that. Yep. <laughs> so thank you so much, Jason, for joining the show, even oh. though I cannot speak. <laughs> <laughs> um, pleasure to have you on. Um, You've been very supportive of Metallicast on social media, and I know you sent out a message in the Met Club forums to help spread the word, so I greatly sure. appreciate all that. And, you know, just to give people a little bit of a background as to who you are, I mean, you are first and foremost a Metallica fan like myself and like everybody listening, but you had a, a hand to, uh, you had a hand in the whole Super Bowl Metallica announcement type. Well, you, you explain. Um, well, the short version of the long story is the morning after uh, Super Bowl 49, uh, we, I woke up, uh, went on Facebook, was talking to some of my friends, other, other Metallica fans, and everybody was just bombing away. You know, on the on the whole Katy Perry thing and, and how terrible the halftime show was. Yeah. And um, I have I have been uh, a writer uh, in other avenues other than music uh, for sports mostly. And I you know I thought to myself I said you know I'm everybody tells me I'm good at this I need to put something together and we need to put a petition together and these guys have to do halftime of Super Bowl Fifty it's out it's out in the Bay Area 
there's no there's no reason for this not to happen. So I literally in about about ten minutes spun together what became the uh, the sixty eight or so thousand signed uh, Super Bowl Metallica Super Bowl petition. Um, for a while, it was going viral, was going crazy. There were uh, I was getting emails from rock radio stations in Japan to uh, to, Canada, to Canada to France to uh, every, every every part of you know the United States. Um, it was pretty it was a pretty exciting time, um, and I, I wouldn't have been able to do it without uh, without the idea coming up with some other Met Club friends. Um, um, Matt and Tiff, if you're listening, you, you guys know you had a lot to do with that. And uh, I got to be the face of it, yeah. And um, we were pretty pumped. Uh, we, we had heard that um, Bruno Mars or whoever it was was going to do the halftime. But then we heard that they were doing, uh, or Coldplay it was, I'm sorry, was doing halftime. But then we heard about the night before show. And yeah. uh, that, was, that, that was like the, the it, it was almost like we won. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I remember, it's funny because I remember uh, seeing the petition online as it was kind of making the rounds, and I instantly signed that I'm a big football fan, and so I would be watching the Super Bowl either way. I'm like, I might as well make it more enjoyable for myself, my all-time favorite band playing, um, if that is at all possible. And uh, I instantly signed the petition. I just remember it kind of picking up a lot of steam and it leading to uh, the night before. And it's funny because we were following each other on Twitter and I had no clue. You're the one who started. So I sort of checked out your profile and then I instantly was like, is this, is this legit? Like you're the guy? <laughs> Cause I got to have you on the show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, you know, you want to know a uh, funny story uh, for all, for all the listeners out there that that question that you just asked me, uh, so, so you're the guy. Um, at the Minneapolis show two years ago, uh, that was the opening of the U.S. Bank Stadium where the Vikings play. Yeah. Um, it was like the preview for last summer's tour. It was Volbeat, Avenged Sevenfold, Metallica, and it was a it was a one off deal. Yeah, I remember and, that. Yeah, we well we drove up and we went to the pop up store, and we had heard that the guys were probably going to be stopping in. And I ended up uh, getting to talk to Lars, and uh, I I just you know I, I didn't want to come off weird, so I just said, hey, I said so the the Super Bowl petition, I said that thing that thing ended up working out pretty good for you guys, right? And he said, oh yeah, he said yeah, it was great, you know, we got to play that show the night before, and uh, I said I actually um, I said the words on that I actually wrote them, and much like you said, he went. So you're the guy. <laughs> I, said, <laughs> I said, I'm the guy. And, uh, and he thanked me and it was, it was a really, it was kind of a surreal moment, you know, that is but awesome. Uh, just a quick, quick story there for you. That is really awesome. And I, and, and I gotta say in retrospect, even though I was not able to go in person, I think the night before was a much cooler thing for them to do. You got the full set, the full show, and it was more in their elements rather than having to fit into um, kind of the cookie cutter formula that uh, you know they like everybody to follow the follow during the halftime show, especially in recent years. I feel like it's the same show with just a rotating uh, artist, you know. Uh-huh. 
no, I, I fully agree. And it was right there at AT and T Stadium, you know, in their in in their backyard, basically. Yeah. Were you able to go to the night before at all? No, no. Uh, that was I. I had I had a work trip that I was leaving on Monday morning, and and you know, so I wasn't able to go. Yeah. I there was no way to get out of it, and uh, no, I, I didn't get to go. No, sir. Yeah. And this is why work sucks. See, I, I work. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> work yep. got in the way of you going to the night before. Three days back at work, and I'm talking like I had a bottle of Blackens whiskey. Oh, there you go. There you, you like go. That transition. Fantastic segue. That was great. <laughs> like I said, Jason, I'm a podcast professional. <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, that was I, good. That was smooth, man. <laughs> Uh, they did make an announcement today about the Black and the Whiskey. There was rumors of this, I feel like, back in March. And, uh, you know, what do you think about this? A lot of bands are doing, you know, like their own beer or their own liquor. Or I feel like this is like a big trend right now, especially in rock. Do you have any opinion on this? Yeah, uh, I, I fully agree with you. And uh, I, I think it's really cool. Uh, you know, I've seen yeah. some people... Uh, I saw some people today talking about, oh, what are they kiss now and this and that. And, okay, yeah, it's it's a big marketing thing. And, yeah, it's gonna, you know, they're going to make a ton off of it. Yeah. But, of course, in, in their true fashion, they did it their way. Yeah. You know, it, it's the, the, there's a story behind it that, uh, you know, the barrels are, have, have sound reverberation going through them. That causes... <laughs> I mean, if you put the story on the website, it's crazy what, what, they're, what they're saying each one of these bottles has, done, has had done to it. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, of course, and that's what's great about them is they're, they're always going to do things their own way. You may yeah, put out I a agree. bottle of whiskey, but it's not going to be the same as theirs, you know. Well, I was going to say, too, to, you know, that if if they do something as a band, it, even if it's not necessarily original, like they're not the first ones to come up with it, they always seem to do it better. Uh-huh. I would agree. I think it's, you know, has a lot of things to do, uh, a lot of things tie in with that. I think it's, they're one, smart, two, creative. Three, they have more means financially than other artists. And four, they have a diehard audience that expects a certain uh, level of quality from the band. But even like the marketing of Black and like if you go to the website, if you check out, um, you know, the initial marketing pictures and stuff on social, it seems like they're not even like pushing Metallica like on the bottle and stuff, you know? It's it's not like Metallica yeah. whiskey. It's kind of like this is a standalone product that has ties to us, but it's not it's not like kissified, I guess. And like you said, they did it their own way. So it's not right. like they just went to a distillery and like just you know are repackaging something with their name on it. Exactly. That's, you just summed up exactly what I'm trying to get. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you, sir. But I, I just wanted to make mention of that. One, to explain my uh, talking problems. And two, because it was a brand new announcement today. But let's rewind a little bit. Um, you know, obviously, you're a huge Metallica fan. So 
how did you get into the band? What was your entry point? I always ask people um, who join me on this show because I'm always fascinated by the answer because I always feel like everybody's got a different story. So what's yours? Uh, my story is uh, we were young kids and uh, all this all, all this hype came out when the when the one video was released. Uh, it scared the crap out of me the first time I saw it. Um, <laughs> I keep hearing that over and over again. <laughs> yeah, legitimately, like I think I think after I watched it once, like the first. The, the next probably eight or nine times that that video came on the MTV countdown or whatever it was, I turned the channel. Yeah. I was like, you know, I didn't want to see it. I was like, no, I'm not going to sleep tonight if I watch that. <laughs> uh, so, but, but I was intrigued by it. And one of my friends had, had the record Injustice for all that it was on. And, uh, and we just started listening to it. And then he told me, he said, you know, they have other records, too. And he had he had all of them up, up to that point. Um, and then the fever just kind of grew, and not not long after, because back then they used to release records every two, three years. Yeah. Uh, not, Much not better very, than every eight years, may I add. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Um, so not long after, uh, you know, the hype built, and the Black Album popped, and... Uh, you know, we were full on, you know, going into high school then, and um, it just became, it became our thing. You know, everybody was, you know, people were listening to uh, to Motley Crue, and people were listening to, uh, you know, early '90s rap music, and and we were with our middle fingers out listening to Metallica. You know, it just it, <laughs> it, we the attitude and. Yeah. The sound. And I got to give a little bit of credit to uh, my dad's been, he's not a musician, but he plays guitar. Yeah. And uh, he, even he was like, when he first heard it, was like, well, that's different. I like that. You know, yeah. that, that got me, that got me to want to like it even more because it was my thing that I could, that my dad would like, you know. That's cool. Was this like your, was Metallica your entry point into heavier music did you have any kind of bass before you heard one no um i mean you know the classic rock stuff when you're riding in the car with your mom and dad yeah, yeah. you know led zeppelin and zz top and uh right. deep purple you know that kind of stuff whatever was on the radio yeah yeah i i mean i definitely a similar story except i came in to the picture of the black album because uh my age when Ninja sam was brand new i was in kindergarten or first grade and i remember hearing i remember seeing the video at that young of an age but that was i mean that was definitely my entry point into heavy music and then it just you know kept on rolling from there until i got into some nutty stuff along the <laughs> down the road as large <laughs> might say some nutty stuff yeah what else what else are you into by the way um so i'm into a lot of uh you know, if I, my favorite metal bands, I would say, are more in line with, like, uh, Metallica's era. Like, a, you know, I like old school Megadeth. I like uh, Pantera. But um, I definitely got into some more extreme metal when I was in high school. Um, I'm really big into the Black Dahlia Murder. Um, really into Dillinger Escape Plan. 
uh, as far as like more modern heavy stuff um and i'm just into sort of more kooky stuff that's heavy like if i hear something that just sounds unusual i sort of latch onto it there's this uh group or actually it's this guy uh igor it's i-g-o-r-r-r um he has like one album out and it's a weird fusion of I think it's on Metal Blade, but I'm not positive. But anyways, it, it's like a weird fusion of like black metal with like a uh, element of like opera and baroque and industrial and like dubstep, and it's just it's a weird bastardized version of black metal, basically. And another group that comes to mind is uh, Zeal and Ardor, who basically is a concept album. Where you have, um, it's, uh, uh, basically the idea behind it is the African-American slaves, instead of finding Jesus, found Satan. So it's, oh. <laughs> so it's, so it's like spirituals and like gospel R&B mixed with like black metal. Um, oh. it's really cool. It's really, it's a really interesting listen. And then I'm into it. it you know, the most extreme stuff I'm in right into right now, um, I've discovered some uh, pretty intense black metal bands out there like uh, Der Bang Einer Freiheit, which is this really atmospheric black metal band from Germany. So I but at the same time, you know, I'll 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 go from atmospheric German black metal and then always go back to Metallic. They're my always my go to. But then I'll put on, you know, somebody like Tom Waits or Johnny Cash or. So I'm kind of all over the place with my interests. And a lot of it, though, even like the Tom Waits and the and that kind of stuff has its roots with me getting into Metallica. Like they sort of exposed me to so many different types of artists and uh, not just heavy music. So I owe them a lot. That's cool. That's really cool. Um, so you got into Metallica. So it's interesting um, that Justice is your entry point. So... Where does Justice rank for you? Like, is that your all-time favorite Metallica album because you have that connection to it? Or have, you know, where does it rank for you among the catalog? Man, I go I, I, I go back and forth on this. And, and anytime someone says, what are your, what are your, what's your favorite Metallica song? Or, or like you just said, you know, is this your favorite Metallica record? I, um... I always say I can give you a top five or, or in, in the, in the case of songs, I can give you a top 10 yeah. and I can tell you, I can tell you the albums that, that are my go-tos and it depends on what song is maybe stuck in my head or that I want to hear like right then. And then I'll just listen to the rest of the album. Yeah. Um, it could be, it, it could be, Justice, uh, it could be the Black Album, uh, it could be Ride the Lightning, um, it could be Disc One uh, of Hardwired. I am mm-hmm. absolutely, I am absolutely in love with that. Um, I mean, it just, it just depends. Um, yeah, and that's the honest truth. Yeah, it, it just depends, like what I'm going to grab right at that moment. Yeah, I, I mean. It's sort of like a vague answer you're giving, but I'm only saying that because I would give the same vague answer because it really does, like, 
So I was saying this uh, recently on the show um, that, you know, one of the things I love with Metallica is that it always sounds like them. Like they have a signature sound, but every mm-hmm. album's different. Yep, exactly. They, yeah, I'm, I'm, you're right. Yeah, they just take their sound and just mend it in different ways. And I, and they're not willing, and they're, they are willing to always take risk or try something new. And I just have always respected that about the band. And, uh, you know, speaking of which, you know, somebody who got in to them at Justice, which I think is probably their, arguably their heaviest, definitely their most progressive. And I would say it's not even an argument that this is like their darkest album in terms of themes and lyrics and whatnot. And, even the sound of it just sounds so grim. Um, so as somebody is that like that being your entry point, are you into like the load reload era? Was that very jarring for you or? No. Um, or, or I mean, yes, I'm absolutely into that era. It was, it was not jarring for me. Um, we, uh, I, I always say we, because it, there, there was a couple of friends of mine that, it was kind of like our we, we were like a click with with Metallica and uh, yeah. the first time I saw them was with this same group and and uh, so it was no we we heard uh, we heard until it sleeps on the radio um, a friend of ours or actually an acquaintance I would say a guy that we knew uh, was a was kind of an in house producer or something at one of the local radio stations and he snuck us the uh, hero of the day single. Um, so we got to hear that before the before the record actually came out. Cool. Uh, and yeah, yeah, it was pretty neat. And and yeah, I mean, the first time we heard it, it was kind of like, well, yeah, that's different. You know, we were for <laughs> yeah. the at the end of "Until It Sleeps" before he gets into the uh, last verse when they really step on the pedals and and the guitars kind of crank down a little deeper. Yeah. I think we were I think we were kind of expecting that from the start, but. Yeah. Uh, but but no, I mean we we just embraced it and went along with it and um, you know enjoyed it and and I still love those two records. I, I listen yeah, to them me all. Too. Yep. I mean, I was saying to Clint uh, Wells from Metal Through Podcast because he was on last week when we were talking to Live Is to Die. Um, I was talking about well, we were both saying how for us, like with our age and when we got into the band, like that was. Um, near the beginning of when we were really getting into the band. I know for me personally, the Blackout was my introduction. And But like I said before, I was so young when I heard those songs. And I had a cassette of the Black Album, but I was in third grade at the time. So I had no clue anything outside that album existed at that point. And then, uh, you know, as when I got into, I think it was the summer between fifth and sixth grade, um, until it sleeps was released as a single, and I remember hearing that on the radio and be like, "Oh, it's a new Metallica song, and I really like it." And then in sixth grade, I got like my first CD player, and Load was my first CD. And then I remember going to a local record store and, and looking at the albums. I'm like, "Holy shit, they have four other albums!" <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> and then I and then I went home with Kill 'Em All. And I was like, "This is the same fucking band." <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. It is a, especially that one. I mean, that has right. a completely different sound just from that to to the next album that, uh, you know, came out a year later. Yeah, 
Well, and it's funny because I have this distinct memory of being in my bedroom and looking at the band photo and kill them all where, you know, they're like covered in like acne and they just look, oh. Lars has like that terrible like mustache and they just, you know, look like a bunch of 18, 19 year old punks, which basically they were. And <laughs> then holding that next, <laughs> next to load where there are the back cover sitting at the table with like the Cubans and like the short hair and like Kirk's wearing like his pimp suit. I'm like, this is the same band. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 13 years later, this is the same band. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. Yep. But like I said, you know, that's, but like I said, that's like what, uh, you know, what I've embraced about the band. And I always wonder, cause that was sort of, you know, when I was discovering the band was when they were going through all these changes. So for somebody like you who got into a little bit earlier, whether it be justice or even before, I always wonder, um, like how that experience was for them. Cause you either, I feel like you either were along for the ride, like you were, or you got off the boat, which is fine either way. Um, I, which leads me also to my next question for you, just cause I'm, I have this morbid curiosity and I always get a little nervous before I ask people, but St. Anger, yay or nay? Yay. I agree. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even hesitate on it. There's some really good stuff on there. Yeah, I agree. And I, I, I'm always of the mindset, like, I understand the criticisms. I think it's not a perfect album, but there's a lot of hidden gems in there. And I, it, and for what it is, is like a standalone album. I think it is a really unique listen in their catalog. I think, uh, I think, I think that the main riff off of the song St. Anger is just massive. Yeah. That's just that is that is just a massive, massive riff, and I'm yeah. surprised that didn't get more um, airplay and radio play and stuff. You know, everybody played yeah. saying anger or they played frantic, um, but that riff was just oh, that was massive. Yeah. Um, and it, I still, I still to this day when I hear it, I'm like, how did this not? How did people not cling on to that? Right, and. I think what it is, you know, if you, I always wonder if the, if St. Anger had a different production, did not have like that drum sound that everybody complains about with the snare, and if it had guitar solos, but everything else was the same, I I wonder how people would react to that album, because I'm like, the songs themselves are, uh, there's a lot of solid stuff in there, a lot of great riffs in there. So if you got rid of the snare sound, if you added the solos, would people have complained the same way? Would the reaction have been so venomous? Um, I, I don't know. I know that anybody who complains about the snare sound, uh, my, my first response always is, put on the DVD that came with it. Yeah. And the DVD that came with it is them playing the album straight through live and the snare sound is not there. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> yeah. go listen to that, play that, and see if you still like it, you know, or see, yeah. or see if you like it, and, you know, and then maybe you can look past the, uh, the snare sound. Yeah, and I, I kind of, I mean, I think one of the things I like most about that album is just how kind of, like, raw and gritty and muddy it is at times. Like, if you're listening to that album... 
hearing like James's voice squeak at it or hearing guitar kind of play like an off note. Like I like that as a musician because uh, it just has this rawness and this attitude to it that you don't hear a lot on albums, especially from a, like a mainstream band like Metallica when they're, you know, just cranking out number one albums. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It's, um, and, and you got to also look at everything that was going on at that time uh, with them as people, you know, that yeah. was a, that was a very, uh, you know, I mean, if you watch the documentary and, you know, if you're a fan like we were and you were following along at the time, I mean, there, there were a lot of, a lot of people that thought, hey, they had a great run. You know, that was a, yeah. that, that was a great 10 years or, uh, or 20 years there. And, you know, they, they, they were awesome. And, boy, they'll go down as one of the greatest metal bands ever. And right. Good for, but luckily for us, they were able to, you know, pull it together and yeah. realize they all needed each other. And, and here we are now. Yeah. And, and I think... Yeah, and I think they're near the top of their game now. I mean, you mentioned Hardwired before. I think Hardwired is a pretty near-perfect album, and seeing them live last summer on World Wired, I, I'm not sure I've seen them sound better live. Mm-mm. No, I, I would agree with you. Um, I would absolutely agree with that. And they, we were at, uh, we got to see them at Rock on the Range, uh, which was a little wonky because it was raining and the sound there is just is just odd. Yeah. Um, but we saw the we saw the full production at Comerica Park in Detroit, and uh, I got to scratch the Rose Bowl off my bucket list uh, when we took our vacation and saw them out in Pasadena. Nice. And I'm telling man, man, that that show in L.A. that night was was about as perfect as it gets. It was a, it was like the low 80s. You know, temperature-wise, um, there was a little bit of a breeze. The sound was just perfect. Yeah. You know, it was beautiful, sunny California weather. You know, um, and they and they and they screwed around and played "Running with the Devil." So it was, you know, <laughs> it, was, it was something, man. Yeah, you're right. I, I think I think last summer, I think it's only going to get better too. I, yeah. Like I'm excited for this indoor uh, run to start. Same, and I think, too, when they do the indoor arenas, I feel like they have a little bit more fun with the set list. Like, when you do a big stadium show, you're going to have a lot of hardcore fans there, but you're going to also have more casual fans, especially since they have not toured in such a long time. So I feel like, you know, and I'm not I'm not saying this is a complaint, but you got, like, a, we got a lot of, like, Black Album stuff and that kind of thing. And I think, you know, when they go indoors, they're going to start mixing up the set a little bit more and get a... You know, we might get a uh, a deep cut that they have not played in years. You know. Yeah, I think you're right. And if you look at the, uh, if you just look at some of the set lists from the European uh, leg back in the spring, yeah, there there was some different stuff sprinkled in there. Um, they they played "Dreaming No More" a lot, a lot yeah. more often. Um, uh, some of the older. Some of the older covers came back. Uh, they they started yeah. playing Last Bread Press Band. again. Yeah, Bread yeah. Band was in there a couple days. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I'm super excited. Are you Are you going to the Albany show? No, no. Unfortunately, uh, we will not be in Albany. No, sir. Well, uh, that's the. I was debating like what show I should go to. I want to go to all of them, 
but you know the stupid work thing again gets in the way. So <laughs> yeah, so I'm with you. And like the there's a handful of shows I could go to, but they're all like within the closest ones are still all within you know like a three or four hour drive. So I felt like uh-huh. I had to be kind of strategic. But my brother does not live too far from Albany. He lives about forty minutes from the city, so. We're going to go stay with him and go to that show, and uh, I'll take a day out of work for it. Why not? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, but, you know, the real focus of today, this being part nine of the In Summer for All series, is we are looking at track nine, the final song on the Justice album, Dyer's Eve, and when I had reached out to you to see if you were interested in joining me for an episode, you were like, I would really like to do Dyer's Eve because it's one of my favorite songs. Yeah, that's, uh, it's like I, like I was telling you earlier, um, if people ask me my favorite Metallica song, I can, I always say, you know, I can give you five or ten. Dyer's okay. Eve's in my, my top five. Yeah. I don't know where in my top five, it depends probably on the day and the mood, but but it's in there. Yep. And I, I, I feel like this is a song that is just really a landmark song for the band in the sense that a lot of these early Metallica albums, James is writing lyrics from a more political standpoint or from a third-person perspective, or um, even if it's uh, biographical, it's not as direct it's uh, kind of written through another, through the lens of another, and I feel like Dyer's Eve is one of the, <clears throat> excuse me, it's one of the first examples of him, just like having a more direct, personal uh, lyric on an album. Yeah, I I think when, uh, one of the things if you look back at like year and a half in the life of, um, and some of the other. Uh, MTV, you know, MTV documentaries, you know, half hour shows and stuff that they've done. One of the things that when they talk to Metallica fans that they that at least used to always be said was, I feel like I feel like they relate to me. I feel like when I hear them and I hear their lyrics, I feel like I feel like there's someone who understands me and feels the same way that I do. And I think that I think that this song was a big part of that because throughout throughout the lyrics of that song i think there's something that every teenage kid can relate to at some at some um whether it's feeling like their parents are suppressing them or whether it's you know whether it's feeling like they have or it's just something simple like you feel like you have no freedom because mom and dad won't let you do whatever and i I i really think that this song had a big part in that in where that came from that line of thinking yeah I totally agree. I mean, I what I like about the lyrics is, you know, it's really written as a letter. And uh-huh. so you have every verse starts with dear mother, dear father. And then it's like an unleashing of raw emotion. Yeah. Um, and, yep. you know, some of the lines that always stood out to me, um, Curated dictator, always censoring my every move. Children have seen but are not heard. Tear out everything inspired. Um, dear mother, dear father, you clipped my wings before I learned to fly. Unspoiled, unspoken, I've outgrown that fucking lullaby. Um, and, and just the the 
chorus, innocence, torn from me without your shelter, barred reality, I'm living blindly. Like, these, this is deep shit coming from James. <laughs> yeah, and the, the lyrics in the bridge, um, uh, you know, shocked at the world that I see, innocent victim, please rescue me, you know, like, he finally, he finally breaks out from under them. Yeah. And he, and he just can't, he doesn't know how to handle it, you know? like Yeah, I'm in hell without so, you. Yeah, Cannot cope the, without you two. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's funny because you, I, when I've been doing this in Summer for All series and I'm, I'm trying my best to go into each of these songs with fresh ears because for the sake of the episodes and, you know, these songs I've heard hundreds if not thousands of times, but I, what I've been trying to also make um, connections to songs that came before or songs that came after. And I, there's a lot to this song that lyrically reminds me of actually Mama Said from uh, Load. Musically, they could not be more opposite. But lyrically, no, that's there's interesting, a lot man. of similarities. Yeah, that... Uh... If that that made that made my eyebrows go up when you said that. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I never thought of that. Um, it is a it is an ode to look what you did. This is your fault. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I I'm screwed because of the way that I was brought up, and now I'm trying to fight through it. Um, I I never connected those two. Uh, but that's that's really interesting, man. That's that's pretty good. I feel like. Like, if you take a, a verse from Mama Said, like, Rebel, my new last name, my blood in my veins, apron strings around my neck, the mark that still remains. It's sort of, it, I mean, it sort of ties in uh, with, you know, you clipped my wings before I learned to fly. Mm-hmm. You know, it, yeah. it, a lot of similar themes going on there. Um, it is just funny to me in the sense that they're presented in such drastically different ways musically, where Dyer's yeah, is just this punishing thrash song, and Mama says a uh, acoustic country western song. <laughs> yeah, it's got a steel guitar on it. Yeah, yeah. totally. <laughs> right. Um, and, and speaking of just it being like a punishing thrash song, I you know last week we covered "To Live Is to Die," and Clint and I were talking about the intro and outro. And one thing I love about Dyer's Eve is just the the outro to the, to live us to die is just cut short because this just comes hammering at you dun 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 dun, dun, dun. Uh-huh. and it just it just smashes your face from the get go yeah yeah no a- absolutely there it's uh it's pretty unrelenting from start to finish um and I was uh you know it's I, I was listening to it oh I don't know just just a little while ago. And uh, I got to the bridge part, uh, the I'm in hell without you part. You know, and uh, I, I, I looked at I, I looked at my girlfriend and I said, uh, I said, when I'm talking to him later, how do I describe the way that this part makes me feel? How, how do I say it makes me grit my teeth as tight as I can and want to scream yes through it? You know what I mean? How do I how do I how do I describe that feeling? Because that's what it is. Like I want to tighten, just I tense every muscle, and just want to scream through gritted teeth through that part. Because it just, God, that the guitar sound on that just. Mm. As I said, I, I still I can't come up with a way to describe it. It's 
Yeah. It it, it just it, it just rips, man. It just the the guitars just rip on this song. And I I I think um I'm not knocking my apocalypse. I feel like I, I like my apocalypse a lot. I think it's one of the more underrated songs in their catalog. But I always feel like there's a part of me that I feel like my apocalypse is sort of like they wanted they were trying to duplicate a Dyer's Eve. It is but it's it's just not quite on that level yet. It, it, I mean Dyer's Eve is just I it it's gotta be with the exception of Damage Inc. Maybe my favorite closer on a Metallica album. Yeah, it's it's violent. <laughs> There's no other yeah. way to put it. I mean, it is it is musical violence. Uh, it is it'll it, <laughs> it'll make you you will feel some way when you listen to that song. Um, you'll either it'll either pump you up and 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 make you want to go through a wall. It'll motivate you potentially. <laughs> um, you may you may catch the lyrics only, you know. Yeah. If if you relate enough to it, you may only hear the lyrics to that and go with well, their guitars. I didn't even hear that part, um, yeah. and that's 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 one of the things that I that I love about it. And it's uh, I, I, I that's one of the few songs in my life that I can remember the first time I heard it, where I was, and just like the when it was over, just sitting there and going, "Holy shit!" Play that again, you know. Put that on again. Hit hit repeat or whatever we got to do. Rewind it. And um, where, where 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 were you? Uh, I was at my friend Frank's house, uh, and we were in his in his bedroom, and he was showing me tapes, and uh, he had some of the Metallica comic books. And uh, I had a couple of those. <laughs> yeah, he was he was uh, he was really uh, Frank. If you're listening, thanks, buddy. He uh, he really brought it along, man. He you know, hey, look at because he knew some older kids that were really into it, yeah. And uh, and I and I, I remember that you know we listened to we listened to it through, and it was you know there was a lot of talking, and you know because we're buddies, you know, we're talking about football and baseball and this and that and school and what have you, and then through that song, just boom, just everything just kind of stopped, like whoa, yeah. and uh, yeah, it was. It's in my top five, like I said, easily. And, it, and it, 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 one day it could be number one, the next day it could be number five, but it's still in there. It, it's funny that you said, like, you kind of just, like, stops because I think going back, like, to that intro, it just, this song demands your attention. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it grabs you right away. It says, hey, whoa, pay attention here. Yeah. It's like you, you, the outro to Tulsa gets you, like, a little bit comfortable and it's just like, oh, you're comfortable? Boom! There's a punch <laughs> to your face. <laughs> yeah. And it and it doesn't and it doesn't really let up, you know. It just sort of blasts its way straight through. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's relentless. It, it does not stop. It just it doesn't stop till it's over, and then yeah. and when it's over, you're kind of going, whoa, that was. Um, I actually, if any of the listeners out there. Uh, are from Northeast Ohio, and we're at the show at Quicken Loans Arena in 2009. Uh, I was uh, I was fortunate enough to win a meet and greet that day, and I asked Lars asked 
everyone in line that was waiting to talk to them, they said, you, do you have any, anybody got any requests? And I shouted out Dyer's Eve, and they played it that night. <laughs> so I like awesome. to, to take credit for it, but <laughs> I don't know if, if that had anything to do with it or not, but, but I like to take credit for it. You can take credit for that. I, I'll let you. <laughs> I, was that, uh, gonna, I was gonna ask you actually if uh, you had seen it live, because I was looking at uh, one. I've been quoting this throughout the Summer for All series because I love how you can just go to Metallica.com and they have like all these stats. So this well, song, do you want to guess how many times the song's been performed? Maybe you know. I don't know, but I'm gonna guess oh fifty or sixty. Less than that. It's only been performed oh. 35 times. Holy cow. Yeah. And the sheer volume of shows that they've done, Yeah, it would be 50 to 60 range. But I guess that makes sense, too. Yeah, absolutely. It, mm. You know, what's crazy, too, is that, you know, Justice obviously came out in 88, and the first performance of this was not until mm-hmm. 2004. I, I remember seeing the... Uh, I remember seeing video of it. It was in. Um, oh, you're gonna have to help me. Where where did they where did they debut it? It was in L.A. That's right. Uh, that was. There's video. Check it out. Google that. I will. And 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 the. I'm hoping they bring it back to Worldwide because now we're going on almost nine years without them playing it. The last time. Uh, uh, this November will be eight years since they played it live. They last played November twentieth, two thousand ten. Holy cow, that's a shame. Yeah, it, that, I, I, think, uh, I think it's just one of those songs that they know it's a fan favorite, but it's a deep cut, and it's uh, got to be a hard song for them to play live, especially when they're doing two plus hours. Sure. Well, they uh, they do a. Uh, I I don't think they originally did this, but. But when I saw it, at least in 2009, they do a, a taped intro. Yeah. Um, the, they don't actually start until the drums. And then, you know, the riff, the, the main riff actually starts. That's when they come exploding in on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Matter of fact, that's on the, uh, uh, the, I can never say it right, but the one where they played in the DVD of them in France at that Gladiator Stadium. Yeah, I can't say it either, but I know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm not going to attempt because I'll butcher a whole language. But <laughs> yeah, I got I got beat up uh, when they played that that night because um, oh, I I, t- I told everyone that I was with. I said, "Man, I." He asked if we had any requests. I shouted out Dyer's Eve. So if they play it. Everybody was like, yeah, 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 right. When those yeah. bars hit of that <laughs> taped intro, I got pushed, punched. <laughs> I mean, you know. <laughs> I, you mentioned that uh, the drum part, too. That's another thing I love about this song is that it, you know, it grabs your attention, and then you think it's going to sort of, you know, Lars sort of like is solo, and he slows down, and you, you think it's going to like, you don't really know where it's going to go. And then it comes in and punches you again. <laughs> yep. It is it, it, it's musical violence. I mean, that is... Yeah. And I think that's the perfect way to describe it, is musical violence. I like that a lot. And the, the change on the, you know, the bridges from the from the second verse to the to the final, God, that, again, like, I, the way I... 
tried to describe the way it makes me feel when I hear it, but just that sound is. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's I, like I said. I'm I'm still stuck. I mean, I I I try to write as much as I can, and words usually flow, but I, I can't. I'm stuck. I don't know. <laughs> it, and I, I just I just know how it makes me feel, and it's it's good, man. It's really good. And that's the I mean, and that's the ultimate goal of all music, right? Is to trigger a reaction, and then imagine like a song. Imagine writing a song. I'm imagining writing a song as a musician that triggers a reaction from somebody so personal and so deep and so profound that they do not even know how to put into words. Yeah, yeah, that's you. You definitely have talent and skill and are gifted when when you're able to do that. I, I would agree. And I, I think, too, you know, in all these songs that you hear from Metallica throughout their catalog, this one included, the transitions are just flawless from one part to another. You know, when they go from the verse, the chorus, to the bridge, to the solo, it's just, they do not miss a beat, and it just is so smooth. It does not matter how many little uh, rhythmic changes they do or time changes they do in a certain song. It just flows. Yeah, um... Have you been uh, at all watching some of the Lost in Vegas videos? Yes, and they it, I, I love those guys because they are so innocent going to all this. Exactly. <laughs> That's one of the things, though, that they always bring up whenever they uh, review a Metallica song. They always talk about how smooth the transitions and changes are. Yeah. And it just made me think of that when you said that, that, People who have never heard them before, that's one of the things that they pick out and notice is that, you know, these changes and transitions just, they, they just flow right into it. Like, it, there's no, it's not choppy at all. Yeah. It, it's funny you mention those guys because me and one of my good buddies, we, uh, we will have like random moments throughout the year. We're always texting, we're always talking about music usually. But we'll have random moments throughout the year where we just go in down like a Las Vegas rabbit hole. And then before oh, I know it, we just, like, start yelling at each other. We're like, oh, Lars is getting busy. Because <laughs> every drummer is always <laughs> getting good. busy. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. That's uh, good. I love those guys. <laughs> that's outstanding, yeah. That's a great, that's a, yeah, that's perfect, yep. <laughs> um, so I've been referencing this book throughout the Summer All series. Uh, for those of you who've been listening all along, thank you. I know you're probably tired of me mentioning this book. <laughs> but for those of you who have not been listening to each episode or been in and out, this is a book I've had forever called Metallica in Their Own Words. It was put together by Mark Putterford. But it's basically just a collection of quotes from various interviews. And it's a little outdated. It only goes from, it goes basically from the beginning of their career through the Black album. So there's nothing post-Black. But... He, there's a couple quotes in here about Dyer's Eve that I just want to share real quick. So this is taken from an interview in September 1988. And it's, of course, a quote by Lars Ulrich because that man, most quotes are by him. So, because <laughs> that guy can talk. But he says about Dyer's Eve, it's basically about this kid who's been hidden from the real world by his parents the whole time while he was growing up. And now that he's in the real world, he can't cope with it and is contemplating suicide. 
It's basically a letter from this kid to his parents asking them why they didn't expose him to the real world and why they kept them hidden for so long. It's a real heavy subject, and our management is sure that trouble's on the way. But we like uh. it, so... <laughs> That's uh, great. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, I think that fits perfectly, too, in just, like, the darkness and grimness of this album, where, yes, James is opening up and writing these personal lyrics, but it's still, like, it, it's done in, in, like, the format of a suicide letter to parents. Just because it needs... On an album that talks about infanticide, you, you, yeah. you can only go so light. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I don't... Uh, there's nothing really light on the entire record. I'm not... Uh, that I can think of. I mean, there's... Yeah, you said there's a, ta- uh, a mention of infanticide. There's uh, the complete collapse of planet Earth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> And just the way, too, like, the lyrics on this album are, like, even the song in Justice for All, which is, you know, about the whole corruption of the American justice system, and and, and the lyrics being about that is one of the lighter subjects on the album. But even, like, the words that are used to describe it, like, raped, and, and, you know, like, just using strong words like that that are just, like, damn, like, all these lyrics on this album just rip into its subject yeah it's uh it's it you're you're right there's uh since you said that i've tried to think of one uh one uh upbeat kind of part is you know as far as like happiness is concerned and i yeah. don't it's not you know and it's, I, it's not and part that you kind of laugh or whatever you know it's not yeah not at all and and I think too, like even a song like one, where I, that's a song that we've all heard so many times and have sung along with so many times that when you're not thinking about it, you just sort of forget kind of the words that you're singing. Uh-huh. You know, like think about how many times we've all sung along to the chorus section, and then when you reflect, you're like, this is the chorus section is somebody calling out to God to die. <laughs> yeah. he's, he's, he's begging yeah. to be killed. He's begging that yeah, somebody he's begging to, to put be him killed. out of his misery. And the reason that he's asking God for it is because he literally can't speak or move his arms to tell someone <laughs> to pull the plug. <laughs> you know? And, and so, like, you, like, I bring that up only because, like, that's a song that I think, like, I know, like, when I'm singing along to that song in concert, I'm, like, rocking out, and I'm, I'm not always thinking about, like, just how grim that song is, especially since I've heard it thousands of times, you know? <laughs> now um, it starts. Yeah. But, it, but I think that's the appeal to the... Uh, to me, that's the appeal of the Injustice for All album. Like, that's the uniqueness of the sound. Besides it being among their most progressive material, just the lyrical content and the overall sound is just so grim. And that's the appeal to me about the Justice album. Um, there is another quote here that I'll share uh, as we start wrapping okay. up here. So this is uh, this is interesting because this is from May 1990. So th- this is sort of... A, do you want to guess who the quote's from? Uh, from Lars. Oh, you, you're good. You're good at this. So... <laughs> <laughs> 
this is it's interesting. Orders <laughs> quotes from him. <laughs> yeah. I basically so I you know this book is about three quarters Lars and about a quarter everybody else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's interesting okay. reading like the later quotes from the band because now you know as they they're in the nineties now they're gearing up to you know start writing and recording the Black Album. So now they're sort of reflecting back on the Justice album. So this is what Lars has to say. Me and Jason were listening to Dire Eve down at the rehearsal studio about three weeks ago, and, well, it's pretty fucking progressive. I don't think in our wildest imagination it would be possible for us to write a more progressive song than Dire Eve. To which I would reply, Lars, have you listened to Blackened lately? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, he could, but Lars continues... Listen to the album now, it's obviously very much a rhythm guitar and drum sounding album, and I think that what we've been getting into in the last few months, and listening to the Queen song we did, that of course being Stone Cold's Crazy, that most of the people who are asking where the low end was on the Justice album will not be as disappointed on the next album. I must admit that listening to Justice now, I do wonder why we put three minute intros onto some of the stuff. Obviously that's what we were into at the time, but right now I'm more into the songwriting style we had on Ride the Lightning. I also know a lot of people found Justice difficult to get into, but I'm not going to sit here and apologize for that. I mean, out of all the metallic albums to date, it's no secret that Justice is by far the less accessible of them all. I just find it funny that it's sold better than the others by three to one. It's, it's, and, so, and I would say that was the, the success of the of the one video. Yeah. It, and it's, that. I was reading today um, that, you know, this album was the first to crack the top 10 on the Billboard 200. It peaked at number six. Um, it was certified eight times platinum by the Recording Industry Association of America in 2003 for shipping 8 million copies in the U.S. And the interesting part about that is that makes it, uh, best of my knowledge to date, that makes it Metallica's second best-selling album in the United States. Huh. Which I would have guessed that Load and Reload have outsold Injustice for All, so maybe I'm wrong in that. If anybody's out there and can correct me, please feel free to do so. But from what I've read, the Justice is the second best-selling album in the U.S. Not all together, not all in, not worldwide, but in the U.S., which is interesting to me. That makes sense. I mean, that was... Um, you know, the, the having that and the Black Album, you know, back-to-back and within, within a three-year span... I mean that's that's how they exploded and got into everybody's living room. So yeah. if you if you had had Injustice for All, you bought the Black album. If you had the Black album and you'd never heard them before and you liked them, you went and bought Injustice for All. So I, I guess that kind of makes sense to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. And this was like sort of them really catching fire. Like to me, like Ghost right now, and I, I mentioned them because I know you're into Ghost. They're a band yeah. right now that's like really catching fire and picking up. See, I'm not saying they're ever going to be Metallica level, but I think they're one of the next really big mainstays in uh, hard rock, heavy metal music. And Justice for Metallica was that period where they're just really catching fire and just really becoming headliners for the first time in their career. And little did anybody know how just massive they were going to become in just a few years, but... This is them really just breaking down those uh, barriers into the mainstream once and for all. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And uh, by the way, I know you and I talked about this on Twitter. Go see Ghost Live. 
Yeah. I, I'm telling you. I, 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 I have seen them live, and they are fantastic. And if you're not a fan of the albums, I think seeing them live could convert you. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. That's that's another discussion for another another podcast. Though. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I just want to sort of, as we wrap up, too, and just sort of fill in some of the blanks here on Justice for All um, that we might miss along the way. But I, I guess the main takeaways are the the success of this album, the uh, influence of this album. I know uh, there's a lot of progressive metal bands out there that still to this day cite Injustice for All as like the album for them, like the Bible of like progressive thrash metal. And yeah, the I mean, it's a it's a, um, it's a it's a rhythm guitar player's dream. Totally. You know, I mean, it. Uh, I, I would I would say Injustice for All is like almost like a James solo album in a lot of ways. Yeah. I, I think there's some truth to that. Like, even that quote I read from Lars, he says, you know, it's very much a rhythm guitar and drum sounding album. And, you know, uh-huh. and that's been one of the main criticisms. I, I This has come up before in the Silver All series, but I'll, but I'll ask you, um, what's your opinion of the Injustice for All production? I, I think it's... Uh... I understand the criticisms of it. You know, people talk about you know how the how the bass is basically inaudible, and the 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 guitars have a very unique sound. And there's you know everybody always wants to uh, well they need to remaster it, they need to change this and and redo that. And um, hear that. And from a music a musical perfectionist ear, I suppose that all makes sense uh, to me. To me, that sound, that album, the way it's produced and recorded, captures that moment in time where they were, yeah. and it needs to stay the way it was. That's just that's. I absolutely agree. I and I think uh, I would be shocked if Metallica ever changed the sound of it because that's just not who they are as a band, and they very much believe in what you said, which is. That you know everything's a statement at the time. They might look back and be like, "I don't like that song," or "I don't." We could have done this better because they are perfectionists who are always trying to outdo themselves. But they're never going to go back and like re-record something or remix something. And I, and truthfully, there's been plenty of bands that have done that with their own catalog, and it never turns out better. It never does. No, and if they were going to do that. They they would have done it with Death Magnet already, and right. and turned it down. <laughs> you right. know the record to turn the recording down a little bit so they can <laughs> blow the speakers out. On, well, on, I on just walls. totally. And I just think it's funny too that uh, you know people are still speaking about the bass on or the lack thereof on the Justice album thirty years later when at the time nobody knew. Uh, the controversies that laid ahead with Saint Anger and uh, Death Magnetic. <laughs> oh, it's funny if you could go back and say, uh, "Hey, when you guys cut your hair, whoa, what? What are you talking about?" You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, you remember that yeah. time? Do you know you guys are going to cut your hair, hair and basically do a Calvin Klein model shoot? <laughs> uh, yeah. 
and people are going to lose their mind. You're going to love it. <laughs> I mean, I want to. I still, at some point, want to dedicate an entire episode just about like the load, um, like the. Uh, well, I want to do like a multi-episode series on load, and only part of it will be about the music because <laughs> that's just such a fascinating <laughs> time period. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Uh, c- count me in if you need some guests for that. I-, I would be I would be more than happy to talk to you. I had uh, I had a friend of mine whose little brother just got into high school. Load album came out, and him and three of his friends decided to uh, the the local the local festival in in our hometown. They decided to wear black slacks, white white. Uh, White tank tops and suspenders to to the festival. <laughs> it was, uh, and they were heavily influenced by the by the imagery on the record. <laughs> that is very funny. It's funny now when I like I see a picture from that era. I'm like, because it didn't register at the time because you know you're living in that's like what was current. But when you look back now, it's just like, holy crap, that was like they were they were super nineties. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. You got there it. are there are pictures where it looks like they're like in the movie Swingers and not like in a metal band. <laughs> there's some there's some weird stuff. I mean, there really is. And you know what? Hey, in Led Zeppelin has Coda. I mean, what you know? What are you gonna do? Yeah, yeah. I, and I'm not saying this as a criticism at all either. It's just it's just funny looking back on it, you know, and seeing uh, uh, just how in what direction they brought things in and it's funnier to me just how many people freaked out about it <laughs> yeah like I if you what, wanna... man, uh, we... i'm sorry go ahead no no go ahead it's all you uh i, I was just gonna say we uh we fought some battles then man there were you know the the older kids were like screw them they're different now i don't want to hear that you know i'm listening i'm only listening to pantera and we yeah. were like and we were like, okay, well, Metallica's still better, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and you know, and you know damn well that when that truck and those, uh, when that, when that, when that tour comes blowing through here, you guys know damn well you're going to be the first one in line to go see it. So, <laughs> I remember being in high school and having a lot of debates about Napster because I wore a Metallica oh. every single day to school. So people would be like, what do you think about, or Metallica sucks, Lars sucks, Napster rules. And I was always of the opinion of, uh, and I'm not just saying this because, like, I wanted to side with them. But, like, I always agreed with them as a as a musician and stuff that I felt like they were in the right. I think, in retrospect, they probably uh, could have handled it, some things differently. But it's like, that was a brand new thing. They had no clue what they were getting themselves into. And, uh... But, like, I remember having debates about that. I remember um, St. Anger came out the month I graduated high school. And I and so I spent the last month of high school defending that album. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the I, Napster stuff was exhausting. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it, it just it wore you out. And, and the sad part is, too, is that Lars is not has never fully, like, 100% recovered from that bashing. At least, like, in from no. our generation. Yep. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's still there's still a backlash at him yeah. from some people, you know, or or they have the uh, the label that he's you know he's spoiled or or that he's yeah, you know yeah. he's arrogant and and I'm telling you I have I have met that guy twice and yeah. both times both times that I met that that I met that man he was the nicest the sweetest the most down to earth friendliest yeah. um, person celebrity that, that I that anyone will ever meet. I mean he put I, his arm around me. I mean it was it was crazy. I absolutely agree with you. I've I've had the privilege of meeting him twice as well. And uh, I've I've met everybody in the band except James. Um, and everybody was cool or whatever, but like Kirk's very quiet. Um, you could tell like he sort of and I'm not saying this as a complaint. He you know he's he's just a little quieter and uh could tell you the setting i saw him in it wasn't like a formal meet and greet so i could tell like you know he was cool like a quick hello and a picture but then you you know i just wanted to be respectful of his time and him doing his thing also but like he he just kind of got the vibe like i'm not going to hang out and talk with you you know which i was not expecting at all um yeah and then but like lars is the life of the party like he he makes everything so personable um I guess I should explain a little bit. So, uh, my wife used to work for uh, Revolver magazine. Um, oh wow! So That's she cool. was she was this might have to be a whole other episode too down the road. But she um, uh, helped put on the Golden God Awards for a few years. Um, so the first year she was working, and I was able to go out there. So I was backstage, and this was uh, Lars and Robert were there too. Uh, I forget. They were introducing somebody or giving out a wire. I think they were there to introduce Avenged Sevenfold. And that was like a big get, especially having Lars there. Um, and he was backstage. And um, my wife uh, had been working with their PR person, who was a super nice guy. Uh, but he, uh, you know, she told him how massive a fan I was. And uh, he uh, introduced us uh, to Lars. And... Uh, I, I, I made a complete ass of myself. I was, like, shaking and stuff. and uh, <laughs> but, uh, but Lars was, like, could not be the nicest guy. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, the PR guy introduced us as, at the time we were engaged. Uh, so I think he introduced us, you know, like, this is uh, Mrs. Metallicast. She works at Revolver Magazine. She, he actually said Mrs. Metallicast two years before Metallicast was a thing. Um, <laughs> but he's like, this is Mrs. Metallicast. She works at Revolver and da-da-da-da-da. And this is her uh, fiancé. He's like, oh, fiancé. He's like, when did you guys get engaged? He's like asking us, you know, questions. Just making it so personable and so cool. And it was the same thing. Um, I met him. And this will definitely be another episode. Um, I went to a Lulu listening party in New York City. No way. I remember those. Yeah. That had to be cool. It, it was super cool. That's when I was able to meet Kirk. Um, and I met uh, Rob for the second time because I also met him at Golden Gods. And I and I met Lou Reed real brief too, which was cool. But Lars, again, was so personable, taking the time to take pictures with everybody. I did not meet James because he, uh, he escaped early. He, James is into doing his own thing. I don't think he even does the meet and greets anymore, um, which no, is fine. Doesn't. That's his decision. Uh, but So he's the only one who's escaped me. And... Uh, uh, I gotta say the second time I met Lars, I was a, I acted like a normal human being. Um, <laughs> but I, but I think if I ever had the privilege to meet James Hatfield, I 
do not think I would act like a normal human being. I would want to. I just think I would uh, I would shake like a little boy. <laughs> yeah, man, it's tough. Um, when when I when I had a meet and greet in two thousand nine, uh, we were in we were in a hallway that leads to the Cleveland Cavaliers locker room, and uh, we're all lined up against the wall. And coming down the hallway, you know, first comes Robert, and you're like, oh wow, it's Robert Carrillo, you know. Yeah. And then Kirk, Kirk comes down the hallway, and you're like, oh shit, this is real. That's Kirk. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and then Lars comes down the hallway, and you're like. Oh my God, that's Lars, you know. Yeah. And then as soon as you could tell when James was coming down the hallway, because everybody just stopped talking, yeah. and uh, and everybody just kind of stood there and stared like, oh, oh, uh, it's him, like it's yeah. really him. He's actually standing in front of me, you know. Yeah. He is. Uh, he, he has a presence, man. When I when I did go to listening party, I mean, I was pro- I was within like five feet of him, but he was, you know, he was saying. Uh, I did not dare approach him. He was talking to people he actually knew, and I think he was talking to, like, Lou Reed's... I don't know if it was his, like, longtime girlfriend. I don't know if they were actually ever married, but whoever his significant other was, um, he was speaking to her, and then he made a quiet exit with his... uh, uh, I think with his wife, and they, you know, left the scene. So I I, I never want to approach these guys when I feel like I'm going to uh, disrupt or be disrespectful or anything like that, so... I let I let him be, um, but I was very close to him, and he has a. And I only say it because uh, he has such a big presence that, like, you you, he does not go unnoticed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, yeah, and it's, you're right. And it's funny too because it's not because he brings any attention to himself. He just is, he's just completely like quiet and uh, normal and chill. But it's he it's just his, just something about him. He's just. He just is a, a god. <laughs> Star, yeah, absolutely. Yep. But uh, Jason, uh, we've been talking for a while now. I, I I love having guests on to talk about these songs because sometimes we talk a lot about the songs, but usually we don't. Uh, but we talk a lot about Metallica, and it's always a blast. Yeah, this this has been a lot of fun, man. Uh, I like I said, you know, any anytime you want me back, I'd be more than happy to do it. Um, and make sure and send me uh, a link. You know, well, I'll, I'll find it, and I will, I'll blast it out as to as many people as I possibly can. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Like I said, you've always been uh, supportive of the show, which I always appreciate. I'm still in my uh, infancy; it's not even been a full year yet, and uh, uh, the, I'm not at the Metal Up Your Podcast level. But uh, but uh, the the in all seriousness, the show has done. Um, way better than I ever expected it to in terms of downloads and subscriptions. And uh, it's all because of uh, people like you have supported the show and helped spread the word. And uh, so I, I really do appreciate it. And you're more than welcome to come on anytime. And I had a blast with you. And, you know, if you have a uh, hit me up too, if you have like a thought for an episode that you think would be cool that you would want to be a part of, you know, hit me up. And uh, that goes for anybody else in the, in the Metallicast militia. I'm a, uh, I, I, I have nothing but open arms for all of you. That's great, man. And uh, I'll be more than happy to do it, like I said. Um, and just keep being you and keep doing what you're doing. And uh, it's it's only going to get better. Or bigger, I should say. I, I Hopefully both. Hope, <laughs> hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. There you go. Yeah. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully next time you're on, Jason, I will uh, be able to get through my intro without uh, 
stumbling like a like an idiot. And uh, I don't even I don't even remember that. I don't even think that happened. <laughs> but you know what? I'm gonna nail this outro. You ready for this? I'm ready for it. Do it. You can follow Metallicast on social media, Facebook. Twitter, Instagram, I'm at MetallicastPod on all three. Uh, part of the reason why I love doing the show is because I get to talk to people like Jason and Clint and Nick and Kevin and who have all been part of the In Summer For All series. Uh, I cannot believe that the Summer For All series is actually done. I had a blast doing this. Um, unfortunately, like I mentioned at the start, I'm back at work, uh, which means my schedule is a little bit tighter, which means I will not be doing weekly episodes, but I will be giving you monthly episodes, and I'll be giving you as many as a month as I can, whether that's one, two, three, four, I'll do my best. Uh, but I'm guaranteeing you at least one a month. Um, and please reach out, be a part of the show. Even if you do not want to be a guest host or anything like that to the level that Jason has so graciously, uh, graciously, uh, I see already, I, I, I'm, I'm drunk again off the black of the whiskey. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh but he, you know graciously giving his time for an hour plus and uh if you do not want to do that that's fine no need to do that but what you can do metallicast militia is email me metallicast at fansonexperts.com or better yet call the metallicast hotline it's not been a lot of activity yet don't know if this will ever get built up and become a thing but i would like it to uh, we've had uh I don't know if you've been listening, Jason, but we've had Jimmy called a couple times. He sounds familiar. He's got some yeah yeahs going on there. Um, huh. And we've had a, a Dave call, and he uh, he sounded a uh, like a cross between um, Dave Mustaine and Larry David. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> um, but uh, he he called claiming that he wrote all the riffs and uh, cited some unnecessary political views. Um, so if, 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 so if you have an impression or you want, uh, or you have a story or you want to give a shout out or you want to plug your own podcast or YouTube channel or whatever, as long as it's Metallica related or Metallicast related or even just metal related, I want to hear from you. So please, again, email me metallicastoffans.com or call Metallicast hotline, leave a message. It's a Google number. It'll go straight to voicemail. Uh, you can call it at 203-548-0609. Like I said, not been tons of activity other than uh, Jimmy and Dave, but I'm hoping this uh, catches on um, and becomes a thing because I think it would be cool to have uh, either at the beginning or at the end of episodes to play um, some voicemails and hear from some different voices since I'm not always going to have a guest host. Um, and this is a little bit long-winded of an outro, but this is uh, me saying goodbye to... And summer for all as we celebrate the 30th anniversary here. So I'm, I think I'm just trying not to let go, Jason. I, I hear you. It's tough. It's just but, very tough. You want to hold on to it forever. It's like uh, it's summer for all has become like my little injustice for all baby, you know. And now it's it's been good, man. It's been really good. Thank you. And now it's I got I just gotta release it all and let it be part of the world and not and not hold it back like uh, the parents in Dyer's Eve. Yeah, screw them, man. Yeah. I don't want, I don't want in some fraud writing me a suicide letter or anything grim and dark. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right, right, right. <laughs> you can also tell when I go back to work because I just say stuff that makes no sense. So this is a good time to end it. Um, 
Again, email, call, MetallicastPod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. As always, I want to end with a cover. So uh, I found this cool piano cover. It's actually from, uh, if anybody listened to the uh, episode two of In Some For All, when I talked about the title track, uh, I ended with a piano cover by uh, a woman on YouTube who goes by VK Goes Wild. Uh, this is another piano cover from her. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, metal up your ass. Yeah!
Fabs not experts.